Thanks for joining us here at New Song Church, where we are helping people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you have any questions at all or just want to learn more about us as a church, you can check us out online at mynsc.org. It's the best way to stay connected with us throughout your week. And now, check out this week's sermon. I'm going to continue this series uh, that we're calling Victorious Life and how to live a victorious life. And pastor, over the past few weeks, uh, he's been talking about the importance of having clear vision and a clear plan for your life. And then he talked about how to experience victory through temptation, how how we all experience temptation, but that we can also experience victory going through the temptation. And this morning, I want to talk to you uh, about how to experience a victorious life, even when you're going through a storm. And I think that was a perfect worship set for the word today, because we're going to be talking about how we can get rest even through a storm. So let's dive right in. I'm going to be reading out of Mark chapter four, verse 35 through 41 says that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side, leaving the crowd behind. They took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. And a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Can you say completely calm? Completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you brought us here. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing in and through New Song Church. And God, we open up our hearts to you now that we might receive a word from you today. And we want to leave this building today, Lord, looking more, talking more, behaving more like Jesus. That's our prayer this morning, Lord. Speak through me and do a work in this place. And if you agree with that prayer, all God's people said? Good job. Amen, amen, amen. So a pastor friend of mine recently had suggested that I read a book. I'm not usually a big reader, but I'm becoming more of a big reader. And this book was by Dr. A.J. Swoboda, and it was called Subversive Sabbath, The Surprising Power of Rest in a Nonstop World. And it really is a life-changing book. In this book, Dr. Swoboda talks on the principle of Sabbath. And he does it in a way that I believe is probably one of the most practical ways I've ever heard it taught. And in the book, he shares a very interesting story about a psychological study that was conducted. And it was conducted on two separate groups of people. It compared the men and women who came home from fighting in World War II with the men and women who came home from fighting in Vietnam. And sadly, they had an incredibly different future ahead of them. 
The study would show that the men and women who fought in World War II would come home from the conflict and, and well, sleep with their wives because that's where we get the baby boomer generation. Come on, somebody. But beyond that, it was really a full decade where our nation flourished and our nation began to grow. But, but then when you compare them to the brave men and women who fought in Vietnam, it was a strikingly different experience for them. The men and women coming home from Vietnam experienced such a different future than those from World War II. The future that many of the Vietnam veterans experienced and, and seen was that PTSD was on the rise. A, a drug ec- epidemic hit. Suicide began to increase. Anxiety, worry, and depression, all these things began to increase. And psychologists have looked at this study, and and frankly, it's complicated because you have two different groups of people in two different time periods, and yet, in many ways, so similar. Because both saw horrific and awful things. They witnessed things that many of us will never have to witness. And yet, both of their futures were very different. So what was the difference? And if you can believe it, the answer that came back was actually very simple in nature and yet extremely eye-opening. Here's what they said. They said those who fought in Vietnam, when the war was over, within two to three days, they were on an airplane and back in their living rooms and many times alone. And yet those that fought in World War II, when the war was over, they didn't get on airplanes. They got on ships. And instead of taking two to three days, it took closer to two months to get home. So what do you do when you're on a boat for two months after you've just been in war? Well, you cry. You grieve. You mourn. You process. You talk to others who've gone through the same stuff that you've gone through, and you cry. Hey, I saw this. What did you see? Oh, man, I seen that too. Oh, I heard this. What did you hear? Oh, I heard that too. You process with each other. And they simply had the time to cry and to process what they had just endured. Our brothers and sisters that came back from Vietnam in just days, they found themselves instantly at home sitting across from people who many times loved them but had no idea what they had seen and what they had endured. They had no time to process it. And tragically, to add insult to injury, many of our brothers and sisters that came back from Vietnam were not met with a ticker tape parade. They they were met with people at airports upon their return that were protesting and spitting on them. And before you know it, the result was restlessness and torment. And new song, in order for our soul to be at rest, we're going to have to find the time to process some stuff. Moments to speak about what's going on on the inside. We've got to find some gaps where we can grieve together so that our soul can be at rest. And I love this story that we come across here in Mark 4. And, and can I be honest with you, New Song? Mark's gospels are kind of becoming some of my favorite gospels. And, and mainly because I love that Mark doesn't beat around the bush. 
He really doesn't. You think about it, Mark skips right over the birth of Jesus. He skips over the nativity. He skips over Jesus and puberty. You just get full-grown Jesus. Like the moment you dive into Mark, we've got, we're showing up on the scene. It's Jesus in action in his ministry. And in Mark 4, what we witness is Jesus having just gotten done teaching and doing miracles from this boat. And then he tells his disciples, let's get in the boat together and let's go to the other side. I love that phrase. It's because of this. The fact of the matter is that God metaphorically has an other side for all of us. You know, many in here, I mean, how, I want to ask you, how, how many of you in here are thankful that God hasn't stopped growing you? spiritually. Amen. I mean, aren't you thankful that God hasn't stopped blessing you? Aren't you thankful that you haven't fully arrived yet? You see, faith is a journey. We're justified in one moment at the cross, but then it's a lifetime of being sanctified as we're formed and we're developed into the person of Jesus. We become like Christ, and he's taken us to the other side. The scripture says that as they obeyed Jesus, in Matthew's gospel, it says, a storm came about suddenly. Can you say suddenly? The storm came about suddenly, and how true is that, that storms in our life, both figuratively and literally, come suddenly? I remember a story of our neighbor when we lived in Florida. We had a dear friend and neighbor. His name was Lenny. And I remember this time that Lenny loved to go out fishing. He would love to go and, and do uh, offshore fishing. I ain't talking about off a pier, right, or wading. No, I'm talking he's getting in a boat, and he's going 30, 50, 100 miles out. And I remember him telling us this story about a time that he and his son, they went out fishing, and he said, and And I took too small a boat. He said it was way too small a boat to go 30 miles off the coast. But he said, we did it anyway. It was supposed to be a nice day. So he goes out there and they're fishing. And he said, all of a sudden, just like can happen in the Gulf of Mexico, if anybody's ever been there or been around that region, a storm can pop up like that. So he said it was clear skies, but then all of a sudden the skies got dark and it started to rain. And then it started to really rain The seas got incredibly rough. He's already in a boat that's too small for where they're going. He's freaking out. He said, it started to rain so hard, you could not see in front of you. And so they had to kind of rely on some of the instruments that were there. And he actually said that the engines began to kind of bog down and not get them there because there was so much rain coming down. And so he said, he literally, this is no joke. And I wish you knew Lenny because then it would really make sense. But Lenny said, in that moment, he grabbed it. He told his son to take the wheel. And he said, just keep driving in this direction on the compass because eventually we'll hit land. And he said, so he got into his lunchbox and he ate everything in there because he said, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on a full stomach. (laughs) So he ate everything in his lunchbox and he literally laid over the motors so that they could get home. And they spit and sputtered and finally got back to the dock safely. 
But just like the storm that Lenny and his son went through, how often is that the way storms come up in our life? They catch us off guard. We're not prepared for them. We didn't plan for them. We didn't ask for them. And many times we didn't even cause them. They just suddenly happen. And the scripture in Mark 4 says that as the storm comes about, the disciples, they began to panic. Anybody in here ever been panicked? So they begin to panic. They start looking for Jesus. And would you believe they find Jesus, but he's sleeping in the boat. Nasty storm. Calls it a squall. That sounds pretty bad. And yet Jesus is sleeping. Now, if you're new to church, or maybe you're just new to this text, you could read this story and kind of get annoyed because it is a little bit annoying in that some of you I know are in a storm right now when you showed up to church this morning. You're in a storm. And you're calling out to God, but it's almost like you're going, God, are you asleep? Do you not hear me? Where are you? Do you not care about my pain and what I'm going through? Why are you sleeping, God? And yet, the more that you get to know Jesus, the more that you get to know his life, this text doesn't annoy you any longer. It actually encourages you. And it encourages you because it's good to know that our God is not shaken by our situation. I think it would have been terrifying if Jesus got scared. Could you imagine if they came and got him and they're like, Jesus, we're about to drown. And he's like, oh, it looks like we will. Where's the lifeboats? Could you imagine if Jesus needed a lifeboat? I mean, come on, it's good to know that our circumstance does not panic Jesus. That's an encouraging word. But Jesus doesn't panic because we serve a big God, new song, a God who can sleep in the midst of a storm. And I think it's easy that when we read a story like that in scripture, that we think, why don't I have faith like that? To not panic, but instead be able to rebuke the storms in my life and actually be able to rest amidst a storm in my life. And if you really observe Jesus's life, there are certain things that you notice about his life, some principles, some practices, some patterns, some small steps that he took on a daily basis that we can learn from. Dr. John Maxwell says it like this, that it's the small things that we do every day that create big results in our life. And I strongly believe that this story is in the Bible. It's in Mark 4 for two reasons. Number one, to remind us of the glory and the power of God, that he's never panicked, that there's not one challenge in our life that God is going to be surprised by. And then the second is for a very personal and intimate message to all of us that I believe Jesus rested in the storm to teach us how to rest in our storm. And we go through some very real problems in our life that cause stress, that cause worry, anxiety, fear, depression. 
But this morning, New Song, I want to point you back to Jesus Christ who declares, and you can write this down in your notes, that you might be inside a storm, but that doesn't mean that the storm has to get inside of you. And I want to show you this morning three basic practices of Jesus's life that I believe we must implement into our daily lives so that when that storm hits us, many people say, we all go through a storm. Either you're just coming out of a storm, you're going into a storm, or you're in a storm. But when a storm hits, we don't have to panic. We don't have to back down. We can stand our ground, and we can even rest in our storm. How many in here would like to rest even going through a storm? And the first practice involves Jesus's pace. If you've ever noticed, the pace of Jesus was always slow and simple. Jesus always had time to make a difference in people's lives. Not once do you ever see Jesus not have time for somebody. Not once was there a moment where Jesus is going somewhere, somebody comes up to him in need, and he's like, oh, oh, you know what? Hang on, that, ooh, that's not gonna work. We're going to have to get back to that. I'm going to have to get you on my schedule. It, It never happened with Jesus. He was always slow and simple. And yet that is so polar opposite of our society today. We're taught and encouraged that we live in a society that is addicted to being busy. Come on. I've been guilty of it. I'm sure you have. Where somebody, you ask, how you doing? Who busy? How's things been going? Busy. Busy. (sighs) We're just busy. I know people, new song, I know people don't even have a job and they're busy. We're addicted to being busy. And it's not just a world problem either. It's in the church. I mean, I've pretty much had the pleasure of growing up in church, so... I've heard all the cliches, and I remember this one cliche that sticks out to me, that it was big, it was big in the church circles, and maybe you've heard somebody say it, but they would say, I'll take a day off when the devil takes a day off. Well, last time I checked, the devil loses. He's already been defeated. Since when are we taking our cues from the devil? As a matter of fact, the only person consistently run ragged with busyness in the Bible is the devil. I think of Job 1. Some of you might be familiar with that text where literally the devil has to report to God, which that's a sermon series all by itself. But the devil has to report to God and God's like, where you been, devil? And he says, he responds, I've been roaming the earth to and from nonstop. That sounds like busyness. That sounds extremely exhausting. The very picture of the devil is busyness. The demonic are never at rest. They're constantly tormented. And to be honest with you, New Song, they are jealous of the gift of rest that God has given you. 
The devil knows that when you take hold of the gift of rest, you actually look more like Jesus. And all throughout the book of Mark, we see the small stuff that Jesus was doing in his life, preparing his soul. So when the storm came, his soul was at rest. And I'm going to give you a little spoiler alert here, but Jesus gets to the other side in Mark 4. Okay, and I believe that, that God's got a word for somebody in this room this morning that some of you, your biggest problem in life is that God gave you a promise on dry ground, but the moment that you got wet in a storm, you started doubting the promise. And can I just, can I preach for a moment, new song? Is that okay? That if God told you something, you can take that promise to the bank. My God is not a man that he should lie. His promises are yes and amen. And what he has started in you, he is going to see to the finish. And I want to let you know, I don't know who that is I'm speaking to this morning. But I want you to know this, that if he told you over here, that you, then you can sure trust that he's going to get you over there. So the disciples in Mark 4 get in the boat. Jesus gets them to the other side. And when they get there, the very first thing they encounter is a man who is demon-possessed. Nobody has been able to help this man. Scripture says in Mark 5, 5, and they'll put it up on the screen for you. It says, night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. The picture that Mark is giving us is a man that is tormented. It's a man that has no rest, no sleep. It was Corey Tenboom that said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. That's an incredible quote. I think that's worth repeating. He said, she said, if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. And in all four Gospels, I cannot find one time that Jesus was in a hurry. Not once. He's always slow and intentional, never in a hurry. What's your pace like? Are you slow and intentional? Or are you always in a hurry? Jesus lived an intentionally simple life. We read that in Matthew 8.20 where it says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And this is not Jesus speaking against possessions, by the way. Jesus is not against you having possessions. Jesus is against possessions having you. And there's this lie out there that says, the more I have, the happier I'll be. And it simply isn't true. It's kind of interesting that the famous scientist, Albert Einstein, he actually said this. He said, possessions, outward success, publicity, luxury, to me, these things have always been contemptible. I assume that a simple and unassuming manner of life is best for everyone, best for both the body and the mind. 
But New Song, if, if Jesus and what he had to say, if, if Albert Einstein's quote there isn't enough for you, then you can take it from the great philosopher of the 90s, Biggie Smalls, when he said, it's like the more money we run across, the more problems we see. And the second thing that we learn from Jesus's life is that when it came to his time, Jesus would always choose silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Most of Jesus's life was actually lived in community. You know, he was often in front of large crowds. He traveled the entire region for three years with 12 dudes. He laid the foundation for the church as we know it today. And yet, as much as Jesus was about establishing community, he also understood that the more his public ministry grew, his private devotion must grow also. I want you to look at these passages with me. And I want you to see this practice of silence and solitude that Jesus had. First one's in Mark 1, 35. It says, very early in the morning, and this was not even daylight savings time, so it makes it even more incredible. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a, and I want you guys to read that for me out loud, went to a, a solitary place where he prayed. Mark 6, 30 through 32 says, the apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a, a solitary place. New Song Jesus is teaching us that there is a difference between being around God and being alone with God. It's a massive difference. Can I tell you that if the only time that you're connecting to God is here on a Sunday morning, we are thankful to have you. But I have to be honest with you. If that is the only time you're connecting with God is on Sunday morning, your soul will not be at rest. It's continuous. God wants to have some alone time with you. We have to have time for silence and solitude. But you need to also know that solitude is not isolation. Solitude is an intentional, I'm going to get alone and get with God. Isolation is you are a part of community, but then you are offended you were bothered by the way something happened, you felt slighted, and you remove yourself from community. That's isolation. That's not what we need. We need solitude. Isolation leads to loneliness. Solitude leads to peace. The worship team's going to come up and help me land this thing. The third point the third principle from Jesus' life that we learn is that Jesus always took time to stop and Sabbath. And some of you might not be familiar. Some of you that are new to church are going, Sabbath, what is this? I don't understand. 
Well, Sabbath was, it was given to us in the creation story that we find in Genesis. It's before Mosaic law. It's before the Ten Commandments. Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, literally meaning that, that God on the seventh day, he Shabbat or he stopped and he rested. Think about that. The God of the universe took time to stop and rest. And New Song, what he was doing is he was modeling for us a precious gift, a gift of rest, Sabbath rest. And New Song, can I tell you that not taking time to stop and take Sabbath rest, it's kind of like driving your car on E. Is there anybody in here that's been guilty of driving and the gas light comes on and it says zero miles to empty and you're like, I know my car, I've got at least 10 miles. What's sad is many of us are living our life just like that. That we say, I'll fill back up once I'm tired. I'll fill back up once I accomplish this. And you run the risk when you continually run your car on E of actually corroding the motor from the inside out. So I would ask, how many of us in this building right now or watching from home, how many of us look good on the outside, but we're all corroded in the inside? because the gauge has been saying empty for quite some time. But we just keep saying, nah, I got a few more miles. I don't need to rest. I don't need to slow my pace. I'm not too busy. I can keep going. I'll rest later. We learn from Jesus, slow and simple, silence and solitude, stops and Sabbaths. Jesus is asleep on that boat. The disciples are freaking out. Where is Jesus? Jesus wakes up, walks out, and I love it. He doesn't even acknowledge them. They wake him up. He wakes up. He comes out on the boat. He rebukes the storm. He rebukes the wind and the waves, and they calm. Then he looks at his disciples and he says, why were you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I love this picture, New Song, because I really believe that this is what we look like with God so often. That we would go, God, I'm in a storm. Don't you care? And he's going, why are you so afraid? Because I'm in a storm, God. I feel like I'm about to drown. Don't you see what's going on around me? And he's going, where's your faith? Don't you know that if I'm in your boat, you can rest assured we're going to get to the other side. And the Bible says that the storm became completely calm. I want to speak that over your life today. I want to speak that no matter what you're going through, no matter what that storm looks like, that God is going to rebuke it and you're going to experience that it's completely calm. 
Let's pray. Jesus, I pray right now that you would rebuke every storm that is going on in the lives of every person under the sound of my voice. The storms of worry, the storms of anxiety, the storms of depression, the storms of addiction, the storms of suicidal thoughts. Lord, put those storms to rest. Right now, I pray. No matter what they're going through, Lord God, I pray that they would be able to trust in you. That they would be able to, to not get upset or panicked or freaked out that you're asleep. But Lord, they'd be able to lay down and get rest with you in the storm today. And with everybody's eye closed and head still bowed, I want to address some others in here that say, man, pastor, not only do I go through a storm, but man, I've never even made that first step of faith to accept Christ into my life. And you know what? The Lord's been speaking to me today and today's the day. I'm sick and tired of living this life for myself, by myself. I need to call out upon a savior. If that's you in the room right now, would you be bold enough in this private moment, nobody looking around, me, you, and God, would you shoot your hand up? It's awesome. It's awesome. I want to pray over those that would raise their hand, those that would be at home, maybe that's on a couch, raising their hand. I want to pray this prayer. And here's the importance of it. It's not that you speak these words. They're not magic words. You just need to mean it when you say it. Jesus, I'm sorry for trying to live this life on my own for far too long. And today, I give my life to you. I believe that you were exactly who you said you were. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. That three days later, you were rose again from the dead. That you that you ascended into heaven and you are now at the right hand of the Father interceding for me, Lord. I accept your gift. Lord, I give you everything that I am. I want to live this day forward for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. New song. Man, if that was you that made that decision, I encourage you, fill out that connection card, get it to guest services. We just want to celebrate with you. And we're going to have a moment here. This isn't an exit song. This is an opportunity for you to be able to worship the one true God. This is an opportunity for you to say, Jesus, I want to lay with you in the storm and get rest myself and just praise him in the storm. So would you all stand up? Let's worship Jesus with everything we have. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in what God is doing through your life, and we would love to continue on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, all you have to do is go to mynsc.org connect. Thank you to all of you who consistently give, serve, and pray. You are the ones that God is using to truly make a difference in our community as we live out our mission of leading people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. We hope you tune in next week.